It's time to think about the Bible like you never have before. This is Christian Questions. This podcast centers on godly principles, family values, and honest dialogue in a politically free zone. After the podcast, check out our other episodes, all our Bible study resources, videos, download the CQ app, and more at ChristianQuestions.com. Now, here's Rick, Jonathan, and Julie. Welcome, everyone. I'm Rick. I'm joined by Jonathan, my co-host for over 20 years. It's a blessing to be here. And Julie, a longtime CQ contributor, is also with us. Hi, it's great to see you both. Coming up in today's episode, Satan is powerful in his deviousness. He wants to subvert the thinking of Christians away from all things good, but he does this with profound subtlety. How can we know what he's doing and how he's doing it? Well, the Bible actually gives us those answers in surprising detail. Jonathan, what is our theme scripture for today's episode? 1 Corinthians 13, 11. When I was a child, I used to speak like a child, think like a child, reason like a child. When I became a man, I did away with childish things. And so our topic for today is, is the devil in the details of my life? Is the devil in the details of my life? The source of the phrase, the devil is in the details, is a bit unsure. It's thought to be a derivation of the phrase, God is in the detail, which is thought to be from an old German proverb sometime in the 1800s. Whatever the origin, both phrases are profoundly true. As we begin a new year, we often look to get things in order to improve our quality of life. And for a Christian, this is a great practice, but it's also one that should be approached with a measure of caution. Why? Because the devil can be in the details. Just because we decide we want our lives to be better does not mean we will automatically go about it in a God-honoring way. So, what do we watch out for? How can we be sure that the details of our desires to be better have godliness written all over them and no trace of the devil? Why would the devil be in the details? Well, because he is the father of all arrogance and deception. And the book of Isaiah prophetically describes Lucifer's fall from grace. They depict several aspects of how Satan's mindset sets a pattern for humanity to fall into the devil in the details trap. We'll start with Isaiah 14, 12 to 14. How you have fallen from heaven, O star of the morning, son of the dawn. You have been cut down to the earth. You have weakened the nations. But you said in your heart, I will ascend to heaven. I will raise my throne above the stars of God, and I will sit on the Mount of Assembly in the recesses of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will be myself like the Most High. So the King James Version and the New King James Version translations use the name Lucifer instead of Star of the Morning here. But interestingly, this is the only place in the Bible the name Lucifer is used. So... It's all about ambition. It is. This is all about ambition. Uh, Now, look, ambition is actually a really good thing. It's a great and necessary characteristic in the life of a Christian, as long as it's based in humble service of God, His Word, and our Lord Jesus. So we want to have that as a theme walking through here. Ambition is a good thing in its appropriate place. Now let's examine our destination. Should our ambition for our destination be under suspicion? In other words, what do I want and why do I really want it? So let's first look at Satan's proposed destination in Isaiah fourteen thirteen. But you said in your heart, I will ascend to heaven. I will raise my throne above the stars of God. 
So Satan wanted something above his position. He wanted something that was beyond what he had been assigned. And so his destination, what he was trying to do with himself is move further on, move up to where he really didn't belong. And so, so let's take a look at, at this from a little bit uh, from another scriptural perspective. Let's look at Job 38, verses 4 and 7. Where were you when I laid the foundation of the earth? Tell me if you have understanding. When the morning stars sang together and all the sons of God shouted for joy. So he was one of these stars of the morning. And he says in his, his destination, I will raise my throne above the stars of God. I will raise my positioning above where I am. Where, I, I want more. I want more. Ambition is suspect when it reach steps outside of God's guidelines. It's great to have ambition, but it has to be guided by the guidelines that are righteous. And Satan's ambition stepped outside of those guidelines. Well, there are many examples in scriptures of such overreaching. Uh, one example, Saul of Tarsus, uh, Acts 8, 1 through 3. Saul was in hearty agreement with putting him to death. And on that day, a great persecution began against the church in Jerusalem. And they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. Some devout men buried Stephen and made loud lamentation over him. But Saul being, began ravaging the church, entering house after house and dragging off men and women, he, and he put them in prison. Well, Rick, this is a warped sense of justice and as we have seen in the past with false Christianity. Yeah, it is. It's a very warped sense of justice, and we're going to see here that the devil is in the details. Saul of Tarsus had the permission, so he had permission. He had the permission of the high priest to pursue Christians. His destination, so when we talk about destination, what he wanted to accomplish in his life, the direction he wanted to go, that's really what we're thinking about here. Saul of Tarsus's destination was to be the chief exterminator of Christianity, you think about that, that's not, not, not a good, good, good title, but that's what he wanted. And in so doing, he forfeited all claims to godliness. Saul's details, the devil was in the details, Saul's details used lying, deception, and unlawful acts to drive him towards this destination. And Jonathan, you read, Saul was in hearty agreement with putting Stephen to death. And in the Greek, that word's hearty agreement means to approve, to be pleased with. He took pleasure in attacking Christians. He was terrorizing people, dragging them from their homes by the permission and blessing of the high priest. Saul was fearless and happily did what he was told to do. His ambition was exceptional, but not in a good way, because what he was doing was evil, dark, and wrong. And in contrast to Saul, Stephen, the man who Saul had consented to have stoned, is another example of ambition. But his ambition was in a godly direction, driven by God's Spirit. Stephen was only about doing the work of God through Jesus, Acts 6, 8 through 13. And Stephen, full of grace and power, was performing great wonders and signs among the people. But some men from what was called the synagogue of the freemen rose up and argued with Stephen but they were unable to cope with the wisdom and the spirit with which he was speaking. Then they secretly induced men to say, we have heard him speak blasphemous words against Moses and against God. 
and they stirred up the people, the elders and the scribes, and they came up to him and dragged him away and brought him before the council. They put forward false witnesses who said, this man incessantly speaks against this holy place and the law. Man, so, you know, we're, we're looking at the devil in the details of, of what, what Saul of Tarsus was doing and what these people were doing to entrap Stephen. But Stephen, Stephen was a different man. He was somebody whose destination, what he wanted to accomplish, where he was going, was very different. He was sure of his destination. Stephen had answered the call to follow Jesus, and his life was entirely bent toward fulfilling his discipleship. And so when we think about our destination in our lives, when we, we want to think about it in terms of where do I want to go? New Year's resolutions, they always have a destination involved. Well, we want to make this practical. Look at Satan's destination was to rise above his current position. Well, our destination for this year could be to accomplish this or that. And those are good things. But let's make sure our ambition is like Stephen's, driven by godliness, driven by God's Spirit, very clearly focused on the right things. Stephen's details were simply sacrifice and spirit-driven. They were, God was in the details of Stephen's decision, not, not the devil. And like Saul, Stephen was fearless and happily did what he was told to do. Both men were highly ambitious, but the difference was the voices they were listening to. And we just had this wonderful lesson on episode 1210, Whose Voices Are We Listening To? It was called. Saul was listening to Satan through the religious powers of the day. Powers of darkness appeared to be powers of light, but were in fact godless. Yes, well said. So Stephen was listening to God through his spirit and his son, Jesus. And it didn't matter that Stephen's strong ambition would get him killed. He was standing for something higher. And of course, eventually we know that Saul became known as Paul. And after his conversion to following Jesus, he poured every ounce of his ambition into correctly serving God. And he had great remorse over what he had done and called himself unworthy and the least of the apostles in 1 Corinthians 15, 9. And that's why we see him uh, in such high regard, because he didn't run away from his past, but he embraced it as what helped make him what he was and he acknowledged it, and he learned from it, and he grew through it and passed it. But right now we're looking at Stephen, and he, here's the end of Stephen's life. And again, the, the question about our destination is, is the devil in the details of our destination, or is God in the details? Let's listen to Stephen, Acts seven fifty nine to 60. They went on stoning Stephen as he called on the Lord and said, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Then falling on his knees, he cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. Having said this, he fell asleep. So Stephen's ambition, we said ambition can be a good thing in the right place with the right motivation. Stephen's ambition was to please God. He gave his life for that ambition. And his reward is an eternal reward. What's our destination? What's our ambition? Are we going to be focusing in the right directions? Or is the devil in the details of where we think we want to be going? Jesus was Stephen's example. He too had a destination right from the start. In Isaiah, we get a prophetic view of the willingness of Jesus to accomplish God's will as Isaiah is being prepared to go and preach to the sinful nation of Israel. Isaiah 6, verse 8. Then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send and who will go for us? Then I said, Here am I, send me. So in other words, I'll do it, Father. 
Yes, Jesus was willing and able to do whatever God's will required. The details of his ambition are reflected in another prophetic view of his pre-human existence recorded in Proverbs 8, 30 and 31. Then I was beside him as a master workman, and I was daily his delight, rejoicing always before him, rejoicing in the world, his earth, and having my delight in the sons of men. That's just such a, an inspirational way to look at Jesus and his uh, pre-human uh, existence and, and working with the Father and, and the creativity and the, and the unity of working together. And you think about that, and you think of Satan's ambitions for to have a destination that didn't belong. And that's where it all started. It started with that mighty spiritual being before time was counted. It had in his heart long ago, and his destination rose to a, a place that wasn't his, and that's what happens to humanity. And that's why we say, yeah, the devil can be in the detail, so we need to be careful as we look at our destination. So Jonathan, as we wrap this up, determining the details of our decisions, what do we have? As we decide what our next destination might be, let us carefully weigh the details of getting there. Are we wanting to be someplace that a true disciple should not be? Are we crossing lines that are not in accord with discipleship? These are really important questions. Am I, in my destinations in life, in my resolutions, in the places I want to go, do they cross lines that, well, maybe are a little bit, uh, a, little, a little fuzzy? Am I trying to kind of like sidestep a line without looking at it? Am I ignoring it entirely? If we're disciples of Christ, the, de- the, the, the devil can be in the details, and we have to be very, very clear about how we handle all of these things. So let's pay close attention. Our emotions can play such a powerful role in how we see our destinations. Let's stay alert and keep those things in check. The devil can easily be in the details of a position we might like to hold. So, what should we look for? When looking at where we're going, we can easily get excited and perhaps not think things all the way through. (laughs) I can't tell you how many times I've done that. However, when we're considering what kind of position we're focusing on holding, this should provoke us to deeper and more detailed approach. It's one thing to get there. It's another thing to stay there. And we're talking about having ambition. Is being ambitious bad? It sounds like it's kind of negative at times. At times it is. It depends on what the ambition is towards. Spiritually driven ambition, righteously driven ambition for a Christian is the only acceptable kind. And when we say spiritually and righteously driven, we don't mean righteously as in what I think is right. We mean righteously as what we think the scriptures say is right. And don't mince words on that. It's very clear. If it's not a scripturally driven principle, then it's the devil will be in the details. Okay, so let's examine our desired positions. You ready for this question? Should our ambition in position be under suspicion? (laughs) You've been hanging around me too long. (laughs) (laughs) So let's first look at Satan's proposed position. Where did he desire to be? That's Isaiah 14, 13. And just a reminder, the first part we've covered, that said, but you said in your heart, I will ascend to heaven. I will raise my throne above the stars of God. Now the next piece. And I will sit on the Mount of Assembly in the recesses of the north. 
Now, mountains in scripture represent governments. For Satan to have decided he will sit on the Mount of Assembly is him taking the seat of authority where the people of earth would go for spiritual worship. And Satan coveted a position of authority, and much later he tried to apply his position to Jesus himself as he tempted Jesus in the wilderness in Matthew 4, 8, and 9. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to him, all these things I will give you if you fall down and worship me. Well, think about it. This is a new context for Satan. The word was made flesh. A spirit being was changed to a perfect human being. In Satan's mind, maybe, just maybe, he could deceive Jesus like he did Eve. Good point. And refresh yourself about the three temptations of Jesus with our two-minute animated CQ Kids video called, Did Jesus Ever Do Anything Wrong? ChristianQuestions.com slash YouTube. And remember, we've taken the notes for you. Just download our CQ Rewind show notes at ChristianQuestions.com and the Christian Questions free app in your app store. So when we look at this temptation, uh, the devil going before Jesus and saying, look, I know you came to take the, the world, I'll give it to you, just bow down to me. You have this sense that the devil is in the details here, and the devil literally is the detail, because he's saying, this is my world, you bow down to me and I will give it to you. Jesus came to take it, and you can see how he, he's saying, I'm king of this world. There is nothing you can do to take it from me, but I'll give it to you. Just be subservient. And so you can see that the position that Satan desired was to be the one to which humanity went to. Jesus came to take that from him. In our lives, in the positions we desire, in our resolutions, you know, I want to be able to be in this position or that position. The question is, is the devil in the details of where I'm going and what I'm thinking and what I'm trying to do. So let's look at it from a practical perspective as we look at some examples. Well, there are many examples in scriptures of such position seeking. One example is Simon the magician who came to Christianity, ironically, as a result of Saul of Tarsus scattering Christians. Let's read Acts 8, 9 through 13. Now there was a man named Simon who formerly was practicing magic in the city and astonishing the people of Samaria, claiming to be someone great. And they all, from smallest to greatest, were giving attention to him, saying, this man is what is called the great power of God. And they were giving him attention because he had for a long time astonished them with his magic arts. And, and Jonathan, let's pause there, because there's a lot of descriptiveness in these, these verses. It says twice they were giving attention to him because he astonished them, and, and he was something great, astonishing the people. So you have this man who's got everybody just flocking after him because he has the ability to amaze, to kind of entrance, to get people to follow him and to be in awe. So this is who Simon is. Now let's see what happens with Simon. But when they believed Philip preaching the good news about the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ, they were being baptized, men and women alike. Even Simon himself believed. And after being baptized, he continued on with Philip and as he observed signs and great miracles taking place, he was constantly amazed. So you follow the pattern. He was amazing the people. He was enthralling the people. He was getting their attention. And now he meets this guy, Philip, and he hears about Jesus, and he believes. 
It says he believes, and now he is constantly being amazed because this is something that's actually real. This is something that's not illusionary. This is real. This is bigger than he is, and it's got his attention in a very, very different way. So this position of Simon he had was one of awe and wonder among the people. They thought his power was from God, but the devil was in the details because any powers of sorcery he had were from Satan. And he came to Christ and saw something bigger than himself. The details of his previous position in life were to use, as you said, illusion and sensationalism to draw people after him. But then Simon sees the Holy Spirit, God's power and influence being given to the laying on of hands by Peter and John. Well, that's a neat trick. And Simon offers them money to sell him the power to do this. He tried to buy spiritual authority in order to make himself important again in the eyes of his audience because old habits die hard. He wasn't selfless. He was seeking position for the wrong reasons. And here's something interesting. To this day, the sin of buying or selling a church position or privilege like pardons is called simony because of this Simon who tried to buy the power to bestow miracles. Now, see, I didn't know that. That's pretty cool. And, 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 what, and folks, what we're looking at is, again, we're looking at our, our, our practical, everyday lives. What position, when you're looking at your life going into this, this coming year, 2022, what kind of position do you want to be in? And, you know, we generally look at life and we say, I'd like to be in a better place and be able to do this better or accomplish that. Wonderful. Those, the ambition, we said, is good. However, what is driving that ambition? What is driving the, the destination where we want to arrive and then the position we want to hold? And is it in contrast to or in agreement with the will of God? So we've seen Simon and, and what's happening to him. And now let's go a little bit further with the story and get to a different, different part of the whole thing. Well, in contrast to what was about to happen with Simon, we look at the Apostle Peter. He also had old habits. Before Pentecost, Peter's position was as leader of the apostles. He made many mistakes. In spite of the mistakes, Jesus saw his underdeveloped potential and kept Peter in that important position. Peter arrives in town and lays his hands on some to give them the Holy Spirit. It is Peter who will address Simon. So here's what's going to happen. You've got Simon, this man who was able to draw people after him, who had that charisma and had that ability to astonish. And you have Peter. These are two very impetuous, strong individuals. And they're going to come head to head. And we're going to see a very great difference in how Simon reacts and how the Apostle Peter reacts, because Peter's reaction is a sanctified, spiritual response. And this has everything to do with the position that Peter had sought in following Christ and fulfilled as he was living it. So, uh, Jonathan, let's go to Acts 8, 18 to 22. Now, when Simon saw that the Spirit was bestowed through the laying on of the apostles' hands, he offered them money, saying, Give this authority to me as well, so that everyone on whom I lay my hands on may receive the Holy Spirit. But Peter said to him, May your silver perish with you, because you thought you could obtain the gift of God with money. You have no part or portion in this matter, for your heart is not right before God. Therefore, repent of this wickedness of yours and pray the Lord that, if possible, the intention of your heart may be forgiven you. So Simon had fame and he wanted to keep that fame. And keep this in mind when we think about our 
positions. And along that line, I wanted a quote from a sermon Martin Luther King gave, Martin Luther King Jr. gave on August 11th, 1957 called Conquering Self-Centeredness. So in it, he effectively describes the negative effects of being self-centered and acknowledges his own struggle. And he said this, quote, one of the problems that I have to face and even fight every day is this problem of self-centeredness, this tendency that can come so easily to my life now that I'm something special, that I'm something important. And he goes on to say how there's no city that he can go in where he isn't lavished with hospitality by people of all races and creeds. Hundreds and thousands of people are turned away from his speaking engagements because there's no room. The crowd rushes in for autographs. And it's all very enticing to the ego. He uh, then continues the quote with this. Living under this isn't easy. It's a dangerous tendency that I will come to feel that I'm something special, that I stand somewhere in this universe because of my ingenuity and that I'm important, that I can walk around life with a type of arrogance because of the importance that I have. And one of the prayers that I pray to God every day is, Oh, God, help me to see myself in my true perspective. Oh, God, help me to see that where I stand today, I stand because others helped me to stand there and because the forces of history projected me there. And this moment would have come in history even if ML King had never been born. Wow, goosebumps. Yeah, well, and, and you know, that, that, that takes the principle and just really lays it out. When we look for whatever position, sometimes we look for the glory of the position. And what, what Julie, what you're, you're, you're sharing with us with that quote from 1957 is giving us a sense that it wasn't about the glory of the position. It was about trying to glorify God. It was about exactly. the fact that, and he said it very well, the, the world was positioned whether he was there or not things would have happened. And that's the way God's plan generally does work. It doesn't need you or I. It needs individuals. And we need to see ourselves in that godliness, in that humility to be able to be able to handle such things. So when we get back to Peter and Simon, I mean, Peter faces off with Simon very clearly, very definitively, and puts Simon in his place. And he basically says that, you know, you need to repent of this wickedness because uh, the intention of your heart is not good. Peter was sure of his position because he was listening to the leadings of God's Spirit while focusing on the principles of discipleship. Simon, in contrast, saw a way to regain his position of adulation of the people by going back to his old ways. You see the difference between the two. Peter learned to direct his ambition within the specific guidelines of discipleship. That's when we look for positions in life, whatever it may be, in our, in our resolving to make our lives better, and it's good to resolve to make your life better. Just be sure that the devil is not in the details of the position that you are seeking. Jesus was Peter's example. Jesus had a position of power and influence as a man and continually chose to use that position to exactly reflect his father's will. All right, now let, let's pause right there. He chose to use his position to exactly reflect his father's will. And that means not one syllable of deviation, not one. And you think about how precisely Jesus fulfilled that. It is inspiring to see it that way. All of the details of Jesus' position pointed to the Father. Remember, all the details of Satan's position pointed to himself. Let's read the position of Jesus in John 8, 28 and 29. So Jesus said, 
When you lift up the Son of Man, then you will know that I am He, and I do nothing of my own initiative, but I speak these things as the Father taught me, and He who sent me is with me. He has not left me alone, but I always do the things that are pleasing to Him. You know, there's such a power in His humility. There's such a power in His clarity that I speak the things that the Father has taught me, I always do the things that are pleasing to Him. When you get into that way of thinking, you know, understand, if you are truly that way of thinking, you're never going to go wrong. If you are following the highest scripturally sound principles of godliness, you're always going to be heading in the right direction. Now, we can't do it perfectly no matter how hard we try, like Jesus did. But what we can do is look at this and say, Whatever position I seek in life in this coming year, in in my decisions, in in trying to make my life better, in applying my ambition, let me make sure the devil is not in the details of that position. So, Jonathan, determining the details of our position, what do we have? As we focus on the position we want to hold, what are the details telling us? Whose glory will ultimately be reflected by our occupying our desired position? And we really have to be honest when we look at our secret motivations for why we're doing something. Will God get the glory? You know, and, and that's, a, that's a great phrase, looking at our secret motivations for things. Because we can say things, this is why I'm doing it. But then we have that secret motivation. That's the real motivation. And let's not pretend, okay? Because God sees anyway. Let's make sure we see that what we are truly motivated by dictates what we're looking for in that position. And the question is, is the devil in the details? Wanting to be recognized as special is natural for most of us. Understanding the potential dangers is crucial. It's impossible for life to be without difficult conditions. What are the details of handling these challenges? Settling into a position implies some level of comfort, and that is important. One thing Christians need to establish comfort in our discipleship is an acceptance of clouds, the clouds and difficulties, as beneficial conditions of following Jesus. Unconditional dedication requires unconditional acceptance. And when you're a a, a Christian, a true footstep follower of Jesus, we need to have unconditional dedication and unconditional acceptance. So let's examine our desired conditions. And I really like these questions. Should our ambition, as respects our condition, be under suspicion? (laughs) But that's a really good question, though. So what do we mean by that? Let's look at the first condition of Satan's proposed ascendancy back to Isaiah 14, 14. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. Now, clouds in Scripture often represent trouble. Satan is describing his desire to rise to such a point that all disturbances would be beneath him. There is a deep sense of entitlement that comes with the ambition to rise and live above the issues of life. Okay, so the conditions of Satan's proposed ascendancy, what he wanted to do was rise above any any details that would be getting in the way. And we often take a look at our desired conditions, and the same kind of thing is true. It's easy to assume certain conditions of comfort as we pursue our destination and our position. This is one of the subtle ways that we fall into having the devil infiltrate our own details. One scriptural example is this of the rich young ruler, Mark 10, 17 to 22. 
As he was setting out on a journey, a man ran up to him and knelt before him and asked him, Good teacher, what shall I do to inherit life? So his, the, the rich young ruler's desired destination was clear, but he didn't know anything of what the position required. Let's, let's continue in the scripture, Jonathan, verse 18 and 19. And Jesus said to him, You know the commandments, do not murder, do not commit adultery, do not steal, do not bear false witness, do not defraud, honor your father and mother. And he said to him, Teacher, I have kept all these things from my youth up. So you see that he's sincere. He's sincere. He's really, he understands the law. He knows the law. This young man is focused and has lived a righteous life. Now, Jesus is now going to let him know the conditions that this young man would need to accept in order to attain the position he's looking for. He's looking for a position, but with every position, there are several kinds of conditions. We like to manipulate the conditions to be comfortable. This is what happened to the rich young ruler as he's asking Jesus very sincerely, what must I do to inherit eternal life? So let's go back to Mark chapter 10, uh, verses 21 and 22 to see Jesus' answer. Looking at him, Jesus felt a love for him and said to him, One thing you lack, go and sell all you possess and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven, and come, follow me. But at these words he was saddened, and he went away grieving, for he was one who owned much property. This wealthy and sincere sincere man was only willing to search as far as really the comfort of his present conditions would allow. Jesus recognized his heart but also his attachment to worldly wealth. So we end up with a negative conclusion here because he wasn't ready to be a disciple. He wasn't ready for self-denial and selflessness. His ambition was divided. He wanted to be a follower, but he wanted his wealth more. So the devil in the details here, I believe, is divided ambition. Ouch. That, that sounds harsh. He was a good man. He was. He was a good man, but he was not yet discipleship material. Just because someone is a good man doesn't mean that they're in line to follow Jesus. And that's why, as Christians, when we desire some kind of a position, we sometimes want to bring our own conditions along with it. I like it to be this way. That's what Satan did. And that's why we say the devil's in the details, because he decided, I'm going to rise above where I am, above the stars. I'm going to sit on this throne of people where they can come to worship, and I am going to rise above the clouds. I'm going to make the conditions so I don't have to worry about anything. Isn't that what we like to do? But it doesn't work. Yeah, so so is it something like, let's say, um, I want to be a devoted follower, I want to be a Christian, but I'm going to go to church on Sunday for an hour, and that's pretty much it. Yeah, yeah. And, and, And what that does is that that checks off the box but doesn't change the life. And that's what this is really all about. We're not about checking off boxes. We're about changing our lives. So as contrast to this story of the rich young ruler of present conditions of comfort limiting a spiritual future, let's go back to Acts chapter 8 and examine Philip the disciple, the Ethiopian eunuch, and Jesus himself. Now, these three examples are going to show us the power of accepting the conditions that God in his providence puts before us. Philip, in this context, is told by an angel to go to a road that leads to Gaza, and there he sees the Ethiopian eunuch. Philip shows his ambition is to do the Lord's bidding, no matter the conditions that may lay ahead. Acts 8, 26-39 
And there was an Ethiopian eunuch, a court official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of all her treasure. And he had come to Jerusalem to worship, and he was returning and sitting in his chariot and was reading from the prophet Isaiah. Now, Jonathan didn't read the part of the verse that tells us that this man was a proselyte, so he had converted to Judaism, which tells us that he had faith. His important position in the court, which was to be trusted with all this queen's treasure, tells us he had integrity and was trusted. And we can deduce he was a successful man with some wealth himself because he had the freedom to go to Jerusalem to worship, so we know he wasn't a slave. And apparently, buying a scroll of Isaiah that he was reading would have cost money, so it showed that he really wanted to learn. So that's what we know about him so far. Let's continue with Acts 26, 29. Then the Spirit said to Philip, go up and join this chariot. Philip ran up and heard him reading Isaiah the prophet and said, do you understand what you're reading? And he said, well, how could I unless someone guides me? And he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. Okay, so, so let's put this in perspective. Philip is told to go to this road, and he's not told why. Okay, he's, he's, he's provoked by God's Spirit, so he goes. He's not worried about the conditions. He's following the conditions that God puts before him. Meanwhile, this, this eunuch is driving along the road, wanting to worship God in a better way, in a, in, in a more full way, and he just doesn't know how. Philip is, is provoked to go and join him, and he said, uh, you know, do you know what you're reading? And he says, how can I know unless somebody teaches me? So Philip knows now, okay, the Lord sent me here because this man needs a teacher, and he sent me to do the teaching. Both of them were willing for the conditions of their lives to guide them to godliness and weren't holding anything back. And you're going to see that even unfold even more as this, this particular account uh, uh, continues. Faithfulness and humility are apparent as Philip joins this eunuch. Jesus' example now becomes central, because now as we go back to the scriptures in Acts chapter 8, uh, verses 32 to 35, this is what the eunuch is reading about. Now the passage of scripture which he was reading was this, he was led as a sheep to the slaughter, and as a lamb before its shearers is silent, so he does not open his mouth. In humiliation his judgment was taken away, who will relate his generation? For his life is removed from the earth. The eunuch answered Philip and said, Please tell me of whom does the prophet say this? Then Philip opened his mouth and began, uh, and beginning from this scripture, he preached Jesus to him. Okay, now come on. What are the odds that this one scripture he's reading just happens to be about Jesus? You know, here's Jesus right in front of them, so to speak. And that same thing happened with the rich young ruler because he had Jesus literally standing in front of him. And here's the thing. There are no odds. There is God's providence. <laughs> you know, and, and, and that's, folks, the point of the conditions of our moving forward in our lives. We look at the practicality of our everyday life and say, okay, here's what I, what I want this year to look like. Here's how I want to change life. Here's how I want things to be better. And we need to be asking for God's grace in those things. But are we trying to set the conditions up for it, or are we allowing God's providence to drive us to whatever the conditions may be so we can get the development. You know, usually, not that I want to burst anybody's bubble, but in my own life, the best lessons come from the hardest experiences. Just saying. And we all say, oh, I want to have a good Christian growth year. Well, did you, are we really saying, I want the conditions of my Christian growth to be very nice and fluffy and, and rose petal soft, but I still want to grow. You need the hard experiences. 
Are we trying to dictate the conditions and try to get to a position? See, we can't do that because the devil is in those details. So let's get back to this because uh, here you have Philip witnessing Jesus to this man because the prophecies are just unfolding the story of Jesus. Philip undoubtedly laid out God's entire plan and Jesus' sacrifice. In contrast to Satan, remember Satan is our original condition maker who was looking to rise above all conditions of discomfort. Jesus, on the other hand, was shown to openly accept the conditions of suffering that he would be do whatever the Father required. This led to the eunuch's commitment to Christ. This is a huge thing. It led to his commitment because he saw the depth of obedience even under stress and pain and suffering. The eunuch just needed to learn what the scriptures meant, continuing with verses 36 through 39. And as they went along the road, they came to some water, and the eunuch said, Look, water, what prevents me from being baptized? And Philip said, If you believe with all your heart, you may. And he answered and said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. And he ordered the chariot to stop, And they both went down to the water, Philip as well as the eunuch, and he baptized him. When they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord snatched Philip away, and the eunuch no longer saw him, but went on his way rejoicing. So you have the conditions unfolding for this eunuch. They're driving along. He sees it. He's been looking for this. He's been trying to understand this, and now God has answered his prayers and his efforts, and the conditions are met, and the eunuch responds to what's before him. And it wasn't what he expected. I can assure you, it wasn't what he expected on this drive uh, back home, so to speak. And yet, his life was changed for the better, and he met the conditions. He saw the water and said, look, water, I can be baptized. Why did he say that? Philip undoubtedly taught him all about baptism, as he was teaching him about the teachings of Jesus. So you see that in, 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 this, in, in this example with, with Philip and the eunuch and, and Jesus, conditions change. The eunuch was now a disciple, and Philip was taken to further witness to the gospel. Philip was taken other, someplace else to go continue working. Their conditions changed. Maybe they didn't see each other again, but their conditions, the providences of God, They both allowed God's providence to bring them together so this man could come to Christ, and then they went their separate ways. Those are the conditions we should let happen. Those are where God is in the details, not the devil. So determining the details of our conditions, Jonathan, what do we have? As we pursue what we think is our preferred destination and position, let us be aware that the condition we will encounter are entirely in the hands of God and his providence. Wanting to control these conditions makes room for the devil to be a part of our details. Do I want the devil to be a part of the details of my life? Do I? I hope not. It's easy. It's really easy to do that. And that's why we always have to be thinking higher and stronger and, 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 and further ahead in a more scriptural way. So I was thinking about this as far as our conditions and where we are in life and what happens to us. And I found um, in that same sermon with Martin Luther King, uh, Conquering Self-Centeredness, I wanted to just read this. He describes self-centered people saying this, they live a life of perpetual egotism. They start out, the minute you talk with them, talking about what they can do, what they have done, 
They're the people who will tell you before you talk with them five minutes where they've been, who they know. They're the people who can tell you in a few seconds how many degrees they have and where they went to school and how much money they have. We meet these people every day. It's a problem that meets us in everyday life. We meet it in ourselves. We meet it in our in other selves, this problem of self-centeredness, end quote. So here's a different quote. Lord, whatever your will is. And that has to be the sense for every Christian. You know, regardless of what condition we find ourselves in, if we have anything less than complete dedication to moving in that direction, well, then the devil is somehow in the details. And that's the thing we don't want to have happen. It's pretty simple. Wanting to control the kinds of conditions we face in life is understandable, but let's be sure of who we give our ultimate control to. Power and authority are always areas where the devil easily creeps in. How do we avoid this intrusion? <laughs> and it is an intrusion. As Christians, we do have great responsibility and ultimately great authority as disciples of Christ. With such privilege before us, we need to be painfully aware of how easily we can misinterpret the appropriate application of this authority in our lives. Beware of what the details look like like it's always comes down to the details and folks when when you you've always you've, you've heard the statement you're signing a contract what do they say read the fine print why because the devil's in the details that's why read the fine print as we decide to move forward in our lives read the fine print and make sure that we're not allowing the devil to be in the details in our daily decisions to move forward in life in whatever area of life we happen to be looking at. All right, so let's examine the authority we look to have. Should our ambition, as respects our authority, be under suspicion? And let's look at Satan's desired authority as what not to do, Isaiah 14, 12 to 14. Just a reminder, the first section we've covered, I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. Now our next focus. I will make myself like the Most High. It is interesting that Satan did not proclaim he would replace the Most High. He said he would be like the Most High. He obviously knew that the Most High, the creator of the universe and all living things, was superior in many ways. Satan wanted to be like him in authority, even though that which he wanted authority over was not his. And, and that's such an interesting thought when you think about it. I will make myself like the Most High. Well, what do you mean by that? You can't create like he does because you can't. You're not capable of it. So well, I want to be like him. I want to have the same authority. I want to be able to be the guy in charge, so to speak. And, you know, that's such an ego-driven approach. But, folks, we have to be careful because as Christians, we do have measures of authority in our lives. How do we handle them? Do, and, and to be blunt, do we handle them in a satanic way, as this example shows us, his desire to be uh, with the authority, to, 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 to want to be the one, or are we handling it in a hum humility-driven way? There are many, many examples of misused authority in the scriptures. One of the more dramatic examples is that of Nebuchadnezzar the king of Babylon at the time of Daniel. This king had a front row seat to the power of Daniel's God, and yet the power that he, the king, had was too much for him. So let's go to the details here. 
Babylon. Babylon is flourishing under the rule of this King Nebuchadnezzar until one day the king has this curious dream about a giant strong tree reaching the ends of the earth with beautiful leaves and lots of fruit and there's animals taking shelter under it and the birds live on its branches. A messenger from heaven comes down and shouts to cut down the tree, scatter the fruit, scatter the animals, scatter the birds, bind the stump and the roots in iron and brass, and have the mind change from that of a human to that of an animal for seven times. Now, what does that mean? Hmm. Only Daniel could interpret this dream. And he says the tree represented the king himself. And this was a message of God's judgment against him. He would live with the wild animals and eat grass for seven years, and that stump of the tree being bound meant his kingdom would be restored to him once he learned the sovereignty of the Most High. So let's pick up the story in Daniel 4, 26 to 32, where Daniel is begging the king to be righteous in order to prolong the fulfillment of this dream. And in that, it was commanded to leave the stump with the roots of the tree. Your kingdom will be assured to you after you recognize that it is heaven that rules. Therefore, O king, may my advice be pleasing to you. Break away now from your sin by doing righteousness and from your iniquities by showing mercy to the poor in case there may be a prolonging of your prosperity. All this happened to Nebuchadnezzar the king. So Daniel is imploring the king, please, please remember all the things that you've seen from God Almighty. You know what he is. You know who he is. You know how he blesses and how he can take away. Please remember him. But sometimes when we have authority, it gets too hard for us to remember. The king's exposure to the power of Daniel's God uh, created an undeniable reference point for this king. And this reference point was able to give him humility. He did not and he consciously, uh, he did not have the humility, though. And he consciously basked in an authority that was not of his making. He basked in an authority that was actually given to him. And this is how the king himself describes his perception of the authority. This is in Daniel chapter 4, now verses 29 to 32. Twelve months later, he was walking on the roof of the royal palace of Babylon. The king reflected and said, Is this not Babylon the Great, which I myself have built as a royal residence by the might and power and for the glory of my majesty? While the word was in the king's mouth, a voice came from heaven saying, King Nebuchadnezzar, to you it has been declared, sovereignty has been removed from you, and you will be driven away from mankind. And your dwelling place will be with the beasts of the field. You will be given grass to eat like cattle. And seven periods of time will pass over you until you recognize that the Most High is ruler over the realm of mankind and bestows it on whomsoever he wishes. Okay, Nebuchadnezzar used to rely on the God of Daniel, but his own power became too great for him. Did you notice what Jonathan said? My power, Mm. my majesty. This was the consequence, this you know, being a beast of the field for seven years for the unheeded warning to keep God as sovereign. Once again, devil was in the details. Very much so. And and when we look at somebody with such great authority, it's easy for us to say, ah, look at that. Look at how they're falling. Folks, the same picture can happen to us in a smaller way. We have to be very careful of this. Whatever authority we may have, we can misuse it just like King uh, Nebuchadnezzar. Such misrepresentation of authority 
always has consequences. For the king, the details were based on simple pride, and the consequences for the king were immediate within, that, within a year. For many of us, the consequences will be made manifest later, sometimes much later. It's easier than we might think to take credit for what we have been given. And think about that. It's easy to take credit for what you have been given. We don't want to go there. So the good news is that this resulted in a positive ending. So after seven years of losing his mind, Nebuchadnezzar was humbled and recognized from whom all blessings flow. And Daniel 4, 34 to 37 is a beautiful expression of his final reverence and worship. And it ended with him saying this, Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise, exalt, and honor the King of heaven, for all his works are true and his ways are just, and he is able to humble those who walk in pride. So we took a, we took a look at King Nebuchadnezzar and this, his misuse of his authority, but we do realize that later on in his life, he did come to realize that God Almighty was God Almighty, and everything the king had, he had because God allowed him to have. So, but during that seven years, the, the reason for that seven years of, of being like a beast was because his pride overwhelmed him. In stark contrast to that pride, we now, let's look at Jesus. Jesus, who had powerful authority as the right hand of God and emptied himself of it. Remember, before everything, Jesus was there with the Almighty Father. Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 through 7. Have this attitude in yourself, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, although he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself, taking the form of a bondservant and being made in the likeness of men. So he emptied himself of that spirituality. Earlier in the, in, the, in the podcast, we were talking about Jesus saying, here am I, send me. And what did that mean? That meant that he would take what he was and be willing to give it up for something much less. And so he becomes human. He then, so he emptied himself of the spirituality to become human, spirit being to human being. He then empties himself of the humanity that he had been given as well. And this is what we see in Philippians chapter 2, verse 8. Being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. So now, again, we're talking about authority. And think about Jesus' pre-human existence and the power and the might and authority that he ha- had uh, as, as God's right arm, so to speak. And the, the giving of that up to become human. And then it says, being found in the appearance of men. The, the appearance of men means the, uh, the manner of life. Uh, he, he, he became a human being. He, he became less than. So instead of reaching after authority, he pursued humility so that God's will could be done. And authority comes through such things. Because now... Now Jesus is at the absolute right hand of power forever and ever and ever. And we know that by continuing to Philippians chapter 2, verses 9 through 11. For this reason also, God highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name which is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee will bow, of those who are in heaven and on the earth and under the earth, and that every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So you have this great ending 
this great authority. How did that authority happen? Well, the pattern for our actions to follow can't be any plainer than what Jesus set, set up here. In God's plan, humility always, always precedes any exaltation or authority. Always. So when we look for the, the, the destinations in our life and the positions in our life and wanting to con- control the conditions, like Satan did. We use Satan and say, okay, the devil's in the details. And we say, okay, we all, we all have a measure of authority. How does authority get properly used? Through humility. That's how it gets properly used. For us, this humility is properly achieved through love of and obedience to God's will. It comes down to that simple phrase, love of and obedience to God's will. Our final scripture, 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verses 8 through 11. Love never fails, but if there are gifts of prophecy, they will be done away. If there are tongues, they will cease. If there is knowledge, it will be done away. For we know in part and we prophesy in part, but when the perfect comes, the partial will be done away. When I was a child, I used to speak like a child, think like a child, reason like a child. When I became a man, I did away with childish things. So we've got the idea of love never fails. Now this is in the context of you know the gift of prophecy. It'll be done away with tongues. The gift of tongues will cease. All those things, those, those things ceased because the, 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 the Christian church no longer needed them. But love never fails. No, love never ceases. That selflessness of God's will and God's way always prevails first and foremost. And, and the Apostle Paul continues, and he says, When I was a child, I used to speak like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. But when I grew up, the childishness went away. And folks, when we're talking about all of this, the idea of the message here is let's grow up. Let's grow up in Christ. Let's not be childish as we pursue the growth in our lives, as we pursue the, the, the changing, the destinations that we want to get to and the positions we'd like to hold and the, and the conditions of those positions and, and, and the, the, the authority that may come with them. Let's make sure in our decisions that we are not looking in a devilish way at these things, but in a godly way instead. Uh, Jonathan, finally, determining the details of our authority, what do we have? Any authority that comes our way must be met with questions, caution, and humility. Why is it here? Is it 100% in harmony with Scripture? How should I approach it so as to remain humble? What is it and what is not my responsibility relating to this authority? And I've got one last quote from Martin, Martin Luther King Jr.'s sermon. He said this, Your existence is dependent on the existence of a higher power, and you can't walk around the universe with arrogance. You can't walk about the universe with a haughty spirit because you know that there is a God in this universe that you are dependent on. You are what you are because of the grace of the Almighty God. Well, I don't know how much I can say after that, except amen. The point here, folks, is really, really simple. You start a new year and you want to do things in a better way. And hopefully it's in a more God-honoring way. But let's approach this with the idea of understanding we want God in the details, not the devil in the details. Look at Satan's example of what not to do and stay far away from it. Try not to have your destination and the position and, and, and the conditions and the authority be all about you. Have them be about God. God's will and God's way and walking in the footsteps of Jesus. And if we do that and have those things as the only objectives, 
then whatever it is we're doing, whether it be in the secular world or whatever, is going to come out so much better because you're set on godly thinking through all of it. Set your mind on Christ and then make those decisions and leave the devil out of your details. Think about it. Folks, we really do want to hear from you. Give us your feedback and send us your questions on this episode or other episodes at ChristianQuestions.com. Also, a big part of spreading the word about our podcast is subscribing to Christian Questions in your favorite podcast channel, such as Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Podbean, iHeartRadio, Google Podcasts, wherever you get your podcasts. Please rate us and review us. We greatly appreciate it. Coming up next week, am I too bitter to be better? Ouch. Talk to you next week. <laughs>